Athletes Take Your Mark. Get set. It is absolutely time for the Addict to Athlete podcast. Everybody out there, Coach Blue Robinson here. Hope you've all been doing well over the holidays. It's good to be here with you on this uh, this first episode of 2022. I'm excited. Today I'm going to be rebroadcasting an interview I did with uh, an amazing man who took over Coach David Clark's podcast, We Are Superman. Coach Bill Stahl is a good friend of the Addict to Athlete team, and uh, we've had him on the podcast before, and uh, he graciously had me on his podcast that he took over for uh, David Clark, um, who all of you should know. Uh, David Clark was a, an inspiration and a man who, uh, who really treasured Addict to Athlete and unfortunately lost his life uh, several years ago uh, after having some surgery complications. Um, but Coach Clark's spirit, uh, it lives on, and it lives on through us, through the teachings that he had. I highly recommend you going back and listening to, to the, the past episodes of the We Are Superman podcast. And if it's not in your, in your, uh, in your file, make sure you put it on there. Subscribe to Coach uh, Stahl's podcast as he's carrying that torch for David Clark. Um, this, is a, uh, this is a heart, uh, a, a heart and a soul that uh, took over the reins at a time when everyone thought that it might kind of come to an end. And so uh, I tip my hat to, to Coach Stahl for what he's done to keep David Clark's podcast alive. Um, there is absolute gold in, in both of these men and the words that they speak. And today I wanted to share this podcast with you so that you could get a little taste of Coach's, um, I don't know, his, his style of interview. Coach, he comes from a very long background of athletics and helping you know, coach people into running and stuff. And so what a great way to kick off the new year. This is a, a podcast that I did just a, a week or so ago with Coach Stahl as we really leaned into some of the concepts of Team Addict to Athlete. You get to hear some of his understanding of addiction and some of the things that he's experienced and uh, what a privilege it was. Again, if you haven't subscribed to the We Are Superman podcast, please do. It is amazing. There's great content. He interviews some amazing professionals and, and uh, people in the industry that really overcome adversity through sport, recreation, and changing lives. So check this out. This is uh, Coach Blue on episode 181 of the We Are Superman podcast. It was a great opportunity. And yeah, I, uh, I hope you guys uh, hope you enjoy it. It's great to see you again. Yeah, Coach, thank you for having me on. Like I said, it's an absolute pleasure to be a part of the Hive with you. Absolutely. No, it's been a while, and uh, we're in the Christmas season here, and uh, I, I know uh, things have been pretty crazy out there. Well, it's crazy for everybody this year, right? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. It is. And it comes with the territory, right? Oh, absolutely. So uh, this year is a little bit different. We'll get into that in a little bit. But um, no, I really appreciate your being here. You've been such a huge influence on so many people. Um, uh, addict to Athlete. T- tell us, folks, first of all, a little bit about Addict to Athlete. And, and when did you start this? And, um, yeah. you know, because I, I had a random meeting, if you would, where I found out about it back in 2016. But I know it's been going on for quite a while since then or before yeah. then, I mean. Yeah, for sure. No, Addict Athlete was a, a brainchild that I had in 2011, actually. I was working as a mental health therapist here in Utah, um, in, in Provo, Utah, and which is kind of a funny place to start something like this because traditionally all we had in my community were 12-step meetings. And me being a therapist working with court-ordered people, part of the program I was working at said that these folks I was working with as a therapist, they needed to attend three meetings outside of regular scheduled group therapy um, to kind of show that they can connect to their community in, in recovery kind of type ways. But what I realized is that 
if all we had was the 12 steps and it doesn't work for everyone. And I knew this when I found a few of my clients kind of forging their, their sign off sheets saying that they were attending, you know, I was coming back from lunch one day and I saw them all huddled around the back of a pickup and I'm like, that's, they got to be up to no good. So I kind of snuck up behind them and gave them the, what are you guys doing? And caught them <laughs> off guard. And I, I found them kind of forging their sign off sheets. And I'm like, guys, what are you doing? Like, this is part of your recovery. This is, this is addict type behavior. And they said, uh, you know what, Blue, they, this isn't really working for us. Like we go there, it's just, you know, I know it works for some people, but for us, we just, we don't like the, the we, don't, we don't like it. And I got thinking that is kind of interesting that they're core ordered to do this kind of stuff, but they have a very limited option. And I looked into my own life coach and I was looking at how, how I go personally found recovery. And it was through this, this mindset I had of erase and replace. It was a philosophy I created on my own about if I'm going to erase the addiction, I have to replace it with something of greater value. And for me, it started off being a mountain bike. Okay. And so early in my own recovery, I bought a mountain bike. I rode it daily and it helped me. And so I thought if that worked for me, I wonder if I could somehow talk the powers that be into allowing me to start this little group talk about addiction recovery, but do it with through recreation. And man, it, it took off. I did not expect it from 2011 with five athletes. Now in 2021, we've got like, we got like 12 chapters of this, you know, all over the state of Utah and outside of the States. And really kind of just took off as this metaphor of like movement, creating recovery and doing it well, non-anonymously showing that you have a lot of power inside you, that you're not powerless and really kind of doing it and showing people that the word addict, once an addict, always an addict, is simply not true. So that's kind of how it started. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And, yeah. and, and certainly that, I mean, I love the philosophy. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk in the ultra world that, hey, everybody's, I mean, my dad will tell me like, oh, you're just, just a running addict, you know? And it's yeah. like, okay, you want to believe it, that's fine. And maybe I am, I, I don't know. I don't think about it that much, but um, certainly there seems to be a lot of crossover between the ultra world, especially, I mean, I know not all of your athletes are training for ultras necessarily, but there seems to be a lot of this mindset of their, uh, of addicts, alcoholics, whatever, becoming ultra runners. Uh, yeah. Interesting connection, isn't it? Is that the, uh, re um, what'd you call it? Uh, re erase and replace. Erase and replace, right. Mm -hmm. It's almost yeah, a, a palindrome, isn't it? <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. And, and it works really well. And I've, I've thought about this too, because when I first started this team back then, my goal was to just have them do and, and participate in five and 10 case. Right. But it was my brother-in-law, Jerem Thurston, who's also an ultra runner who said, blue, if you, if you, if you hold them back, they're going to, to push it and they're probably going to do it unhealthy. He's like, if you're going to truly get behind them, he's like, let them see and feel the measure of who they can be. And I got thinking about that. And so we started doing the half marathons and marathons. And then we had a few start dipping their toes into the ultra. And what I realized is that the pain that they found on, uh, you know, on a mountain as they're running an ultra, it did not compare to the pain that they felt while they had addiction. And so they know and, and they can they understand pain. But this pain's different. Like it hurts right. to, to you know, be on your feet for 12 hours, but it hurts even worse having that jail door slam behind you, knowing that you, you're separated from your family because you've made bad choices. That's real pain. So I found these people yep. in addiction recovery. They have an interesting ability to channel pain, but they're doing it for something positive. And I don't believe that, that there are, because of addict athletes philosophy, we create a lot of balance. And so it's not just running and exercising. We do a ton of other things, service, public awareness, all kinds of other stuff that create balance 
And so when someone says that we're, you know, we're, we're co, we're, you know, we're co, we're co exhibiting some kind of addiction with them that we're erasing an addiction, replacing it with addiction, I kind of laugh at them because I would much rather have someone get up at 5 a.m. to go for a, you know, a 10 mile run than get, than get up at noon trying to find their next high. No, absolutely. And, you know, that could apply to whether it's um, food or alcohol or cigarettes or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. You know, this is definitely a very much more healthy replacement. It's, it's even, you know, I owned a franchise for 14 years. It was a youth sports franchise, though. And I used to joke mm. when I gave the talk to the parents that, you know, this is a it's a franchise, but it's a lot healthier than the other franchises you may be familiar with, you know? <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. Yes. In so many ways. Mm-hmm. Yep. But uh, no, that, that's an interesting philosophy, though, how uh, uh, basically, yeah, let's get up at five in the morning. Let's go do something real positive. And, I, you know, it doesn't really matter if you call it an addiction or not. It's something you're doing. It's, it's the movement. And it's going to certainly replace the idea of let's go find that bottle that I hid last night or whatever. Absolutely. And that's the hardest part about it, too, is that people that come out of the program, the first thing they say is, well, I like the message and like the metaphors you guys use, because we use a lot of like sports and running metaphors as as in recovery tools, which is, you know, they go hand in hand. I think sports are the great equalizer in life. And it's kind of the same thing. Like when you're in a recovery, you're competing against that addiction that wants to, to you know, take the ball from you, that wants to wants to you know, sack you so that you can't move along the field of life. And so we use a lot of metaphors, but they all come in at one point and they say, but I'm not a runner or I'm not a, a, a ball player or I'm not, you know, still in the gap. Right. And I'm like, you, you have been in the past though. All of us, all of us are, all we have to do is just refamiliarize yourself with what comes natural. And we're not looking for bigger, better, faster, stronger. We're looking for you stepping out of your comfort zone. And each time I see an athlete of mine cross that finish line and they have those, that emotional accolade of like, I just did something I didn't think I could do. I'm stronger than I think I am that's the hook where they start becoming more aware of how strong they really are. And so that's the beautiful thing. And you, you've seen it coach. You, you know, this, when, when you see one of your athletes accomplish a goal, they didn't think they had in them. Um, it, you don't even have to like wrestle with the fact that, that they are stronger than they think they are. And then they can, I call it fake it until they become it. Right. You may not understand <laughs> right. that you're a world-class athlete, but there's one in there. And that world-class athlete is only going to, compared to that world-class addict in the ways of success and overcoming and, 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 you know, relationship building through the team. And they start seeing that, that there's more to them than meets the eye. So I love, I love what, what addict athlete does. One of the biggest components when I first started, as I realized that as I was running with my clients, my athletes, they started talking to me about deep issues. And I never had that in my therapy office, right? When we were going through, through school, they're like create an environment that's calm and peaceful so they can be emotionally aware and talk to you about certain things. But I found when I was out there running with my athletes, they would tell me all kinds of stuff. We're talking about deep seated trauma, situations, aspirations, all these things that they never would talk to me about my office. And I realized Hmm. that it's actually a modality of therapy called EMDR. It's called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It helps overcome trauma through left, right brain stimulation. So as we're running, guess what happens? Right, left brain stimulation. You know this, when you're running long distances, you start processing life. You start processing the world and you can solve world problems, right? Right. It's the funniest (laughs) thing because I'm like, this is crazy. So here I am early on in 2011 thinking I'm like, you know, groundbreaking this new modality of therapy, but really it's already been discovered. It's called EMDR. And what I realized is that I've helped people overcome significant trauma 
simply by movement, by walking and running. And it's been incredible to see the successes out of it. Is it a matter of blood flow getting to the brain that, you know, kind of gets things moving, so to speak, endorphins hormonally or whatever? I'm not a scientist, yeah. obviously, but is that a matter what ha- is happening? Is It's kind of allowing people mm-hmm. to get more clarity and, and then obviously let it out. Yeah, so it's an interesting thing. See, the, that big guy upstairs, he knew what he was doing when he designed us because we can – we can access this stuff um, kind of on our own. In fact, if you've ever seen a video or a TV show or someone who's been in, who's been in real sleep and they have their eyes going back and forth, right? The right. REM sleep, mm-hmm. that essentially is EMDR. It's, it's rapid eye movement. And so as your eyes are going back and forth, you're downloading your day and you're processing life. So you'll see people who are highly anxious. Maybe they'll rock or maybe they'll tap or maybe they'll, they'll kind of like, you know, grit their teeth or they'll do things that are trying to like, I guess, accentuate like some self-soothing. Um, walking is one of the biggest things. It releases dopamine. We follow the dopamine. That's what happens right. in addiction. You do that to follow the dopamine. So if you're walking, if you're lifting weights, if you are you know, sitting and swinging in a hammock, it mimics that same right left brain stimulation, which helps you process trauma from the frontal lobe, which is the fight or flight response, which typically is where addiction lives and processes it into long term. We can put it away. So we don't mm. have to forget it, but it's not that constant kind of fight or flight response. We can like say, okay, that, that sucked and I didn't like that, but I can deal with it. So instead of constantly being aware of the triggers, the warning signs, everything that causes addiction, EMDR and walking and movement and running, it helps process that from that fight or flight into long term. So yeah, and it releases dopamine. And after you're done, the serotonin kicks in so you can start relaxing. I tell all my athletes, if you are thinking about using and you're seriously going to go out and relapse, I give you the go ahead, go ahead and do it. But first, Go run your 5K. Go put in 3.1. Give me a call when you're done, and I'll give you the blessing. Coach, not (laughs) one person has done that and come back and been like, hey, okay, I've done my five. I'm going to the bar. No one's ever done that. Right, right. I was just going to wager the same thing, but uh, I don't know. I've had a few beers after races. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. But, but it wasn't out of need, right? right? No. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Not not because out of addiction, but because out of ability or capacity. Yeah, right. absolutely. And so it's, 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 a different, it's a different beast. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, just hey, go out and run your 5K first and and then see how badly you want that drink still. That's great. Yeah. You know what, though? It works for anything, too. It it works for pornography addiction. It works for gambling, for shopping, everything like that. Because, again, it's we're doing these things to chase the dopamine. So if you can create it without using that method, guess what happens? You don't need it anymore. And so that's kind of the it's an interesting thing. It's like, why feel better? So now I don't I don't feel like I have to go drink or go use or go participate in this experience. I can I feel good now. But that that is awesome, man. I love it. Yeah, it works. Right. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. You know, you touched on something earlier that uh, made me think about how when I when I coach, I I love coaching cross country because you Mm -hmm. usually get the less athletic kids. And I'm sorry for any kids listening. I'm not telling you guys are are bad athletes or something, but it's quite often I get these skinny kids out there who they, you know, they can't make it on the football team or the basketball team, whatever. But they find out in cross country that they can actually perform there. And as I've always said, there is a an athlete lurking inside every little body out there. They just haven't maybe yeah. discovered that yet. And it's such a great thing to be able to see kids who never thought of themselves as athletes suddenly find out, hey, I'm actually good at this. I mean, I've got a lot of kids I coach who, you know, they're 120 
pound, look like poster children for famine relief kind of kids. But, you know, they are they are tough yep. as nails. I mean, one of the toughest girls I ever coached literally started out weighing 75 pounds when I got her in ninth grade. And um, yeah. I think she's up to 95 now. She's massive. But <laughs> um, but nevertheless, you know, they I love when they find out there's a little athlete in there. So what I was thinking here, you know, you talked about adults, basically, who are discovering that there is an athlete in their body. I wonder if, you know, as we know, a lot of addiction begins in the teen years. And I wonder if most of these people are kind of missed that step, if you would, of going out for a sport like cross country or track or it doesn't matter, wrestling, soccer, whatever it is, they missed out on that step. And so it's not until their adult years that they're finding out about the athlete in there. And instead, in those teen years, when they could have been doing sports, they substituted some sort of addiction, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. Do do you see any correlation there? Did I come up with a brilliant psychological concept there? Or <laughs> Yeah, no, you, it does. And it happens like that almost to a T because what happens is there's this, there's this uh, development stage and the, the man who discovered this, his name is Eric Erickson. And it's kind of funny. I'm like, whoever names your kid, you know, Eric, if your last name's Erickson, that's, <laughs> right. that's gotta be interesting. But he did this, this theology about um, this, this stage of development. And he goes through zero to, to death all the way through. We each hit these stages and the interesting thing that I've noticed about his philosophy is that it works so well with addiction recovery and human development. So you start looking at those teenage years from age tw- by age 13 to 19, every, all of us go through the stage of either forming a strong identity or experiencing role confusion. Hmm. And so you start looking at that, and you start thinking, okay, well, if um, the prior stage before that, though, is actually more important. And that is ages about, we're talking about, about 10 to 12 to 13, right? And it's called industry versus inferiority. So as you're getting up into these teen years, if you don't have a strong family system or if you're kind of bouncing around, you don't have roots planted, you're not part of uh, anything. Like, you know, you don't feel like you're part of a team or you don't feel like you're part of a school class or a family system. You're going to develop the sense of inferiority, which means by the time you hit teenage years, you're going through this, this role confusion stage so can I, can I play sports or is it just a popular kids that show up? But you know that, 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 you know, anyone can show up for track and field. You show up and you put in some work, you're going to be on the team, but we don't realize that because why it's not as popular, right? It's not as, it's not as glamorous, right? Not the cool kids sport, right? Team. Right. Exactly. But what you find is that those kids that, that gravitate towards those kind of sports, talk about the swim team and those well, ones where you're competing with the team, but you're really only competing against yourself. Right. That is where amazing things happen. So when kids miss that opportunity and they get stuck in that role confusion, by the time they reach age 19 and go into age 20 to age like 45, you go through this next stage called intimacy versus isolation. So either you have an intimate relationship with someone that you care about, a loved one, so on and so forth, or you isolate. That is the ticket to, to addiction. And so they miss those boats. You're absolutely right. So when they finally are in their adulthood, maybe age 25, 35, what have you, and they start waking up to the fact that I'm done using and I'm going to start working out. I'm going to start running. I'm going to start doing something. All of a sudden, they start feeling this, this intimate connection with like something that they've missed. They rewind the tape. They start forming the identity. I'm no longer an addict. Now I'm an athlete. So now they're starting to, they're not role confused anymore. They're starting to move from addict to athlete. But then we can even go back further to where they got off the track in the first place. And now they're no longer inferior because they're doing something. They're, right. they're achieving medals. They're doing, you know, they're getting race shirts. They're feeling part of something. So now they're no longer inferior. They're part of an industry, a team. 
So you're absolutely spot on. They miss the opportunities because of whatever they you own know, fill in the blank is happening right. in their life. So it's crucial that if you seriously want to change your world, you got to get up and move, not just change your thinking. You have to start moving. Yep. And it, it kills me that um, school funding tight as it is. What's the first thing they usually drop? Sports. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. yeah, yeah I, I, I coached in a school district where they dropped all the middle school sports so they could save 50 grand a year. And oh my gosh. yeah. And my argument was like, it's a pay me now or pay me later thing for 50 grand yes. later on, you're going to be paying for these kids addictions and their uh, welfare, mm-hmm. their pregnancies, their, you know, all these bad behaviors, their, their, their jail time. We're going to be paying for yep. all of that because you decided to save 50 grand a year. I, I just, and it blew issues. my mind. Right. Um, yep. Health issues. I mean, you're talking about like, like, like obesity, cancers, all kinds Diabetes, of Diabetes. Yeah. Right. Everything. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Incredible. Spot on. Yeah. Which eating, I mean, come on, you want to talk about addictions. I mean, I'm talking about substance use, chemical dependency, but, but eating sugar. I mean, you're talking about the stuff that's so common. Those are heavy addictions too. Big time. And, Absolutely. And as opposed to the other ones, we're getting pounded by those in advertising 24-7. I mean, turn on any football game here over the holidays and it's sponsored by, you know, whether it's McDonald's, Burger King, Chick-fil-A, you know, or whatever yeah. deadly food is out there. And um, yeah, you, you know the deal. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir with that one, but it's amazing how, you know, they, they, they're implanting in our heads. Hey, let's go to the fridge and go grab a nice sugary soft drink. Let's go grab a yeah. fried greasy nuggets or whatever. Absolutely. But that's the thing, though, As with with addict to athlete, I think people when they first come on the team, they think that it's strictly chemical dependency, that you've got to have some kind of like like substance use disorder. But it's not. See, we, we work with people all across the whole spectrum. You know, we're talking about eating you know, addictions all the way up. But yeah, yeah, pornography and everything in between, because addiction takes hold of the same place in the brain. Doesn't matter what mechanism opens up that pathway. You know, addiction's addiction. And so you're right. It doesn't have to be that. But what I noticed is that on Team Addict Athlete, we actually start having more people that have zero addictions, but have a loved one that does. Oh, and so maybe yeah. they're coming to represent their, their their husband or their wife or their brother or their spouse, someone, right, that has an addiction. And that's the beauty of it is we don't separate like, like, like traditional 12 steps and Al-Anon, right? We don't mm-hmm. do that. I bring them together so we can learn from each other because I think that's the greatest tool. And so- I've noticed that someone that has zero addictions will pop in. They'll be like, Oh my gosh. So when I'm holding my husband accountable for his alcoholism, but I'm, but I'm getting pissed off. That I don't have enough cake in the fridge or sugar or chocolate around the house. Right. That's the same thing. I'm like, <laughs> you're right. It's the same thing. So really there's a lot that can be learned from just that understanding that addiction's addiction. And it doesn't matter what mechanism you use to, to light up that, that part of your brain that says more, right. Yeah, it'll get you. Yeah. You know, uh, to tell you a story here about, um, I, I had taken in a, a young man whose uh, his parents were trouble and he lived with me in four different stints and uh, what ruined his life and almost killed him was gambling. And, you know, mm. I think all of us had been exposed to people who are drinkers, drug users, whatever. I had no concept how bad gambling could be. And um, just, just as an aside, uh, you're in this nice, pure state of Utah over here in Colorado. You know, we've got, uh, you our know, our neighbors to the west. Yeah, yeah or your neighbors east, to the yeah. east are. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is insane. You know how sick you get of political commercials during an election season? Oh, it is man. that way with the gambling commercials here with all these, you know, really? Caesars and DraftKings and Betfred and uh, MGM. Mm. I mean, it is constant. It is unbelievable the number of ads we have here because we've got gambling that you can do on your phone. 
And just yesterday, that. for the very first time, I heard a like a commercial of sorts about. Um, oh, you know what it was? It was the Colorado Lottery advertised? Don't yeah, don't give out lottery tickets as Christmas gifts to under eighteen year olds because it's been shown that you know kids can get like hooked. You, you know, the earlier they start in, with things like lottery tickets, um, it leads to gambling hmm. problems. I'd never heard a PSA type message like that before, but we are bombarded by these commercials all the time. It, it's crazy. And then the same thing when I watch like my New York Rangers on TV, um, because mm-hmm. New Jersey's right there, they have the exact same commercials. And it's funny how they dub in the word New Jersey where over here we hear Colorado, but same commercials. Yeah. But in any case, this particular kid, I noticed initially that uh, I would see, um, you know, lottery tickets on, on the ground that, you know, they were losing tickets eventually. And then he would go to the dog track and he was going to the mm-hmm. dog track and kind of, you know, kind of these were his training wheels. And eventually this guy was going to, we, we've got two towns, three towns in Colorado that have legal casinos. And he was going okay. up there and um, for a while there, things got so bad with this kid that I took hold of his bank accounts. I could, I could see, and this is before we had phone apps, so I could get on the computer and I could see the trail of his bank transactions. And they knew him so well up there in these gambling towns that they would only let him cash a check for $25. Oh, and well, the guy had no money in his account anyway, and he would go cash yeah. these $25 checks. And sometimes he would go up there and cash a dozen of them at a time with no money in his account. So his bank account looked yeah. like $25, $37 overdraft charge, $25, $37 overdraft. Oh, I mean, it's like, man. I mean, talk about a losing proposition, right? But the guy sure. could not control himself. And later on, yeah. um, he ended up uh, getting married, had a couple beautiful daughters that were living out in LA. And she told, his wife told him like, if you gamble again, I'm going to throw you out. You know, of course he gambled. Mm-hmm. He showed up at my doorstep here in Colorado with 10 bucks to his name. You know, kind of like uh, uh, Felix Unger showing up on Oscar Madison's <laughs> doorstep. That, and, you know, right. I took him in and, um, and, but every now and then he would get this in his mind. He wanted to see his daughters and he needed money for a plane ticket. You or I would earn the money and then we'd go buy a plane ticket. He would think, yeah. I just got to get on that bus and go up to Central City and gamble till I get the money. Because mm-hmm. three quarters of the time, probably he lost, but there was that one out of four times he actually won. Yeah. And so in his mind, and I would talk to him, I said, can't you, you, can't you hear like, you know, the devil and the angel on your shoulders there? You got the devil on one side saying, go up and gamble. Can't you hear me? I'm the angel on the other shoulder there. Not rare that, or not common. I'm an angel. But in this case, um, I'm the guy saying, don't get on the bus. And he said yeah. he had such tunnel vision that all he could think about was just getting on the bus and going up and gambling. Well, there was one mm-hmm. time he actually went up there, took his grandmother's car up there. And not only did he get wiped out, he ended up losing his grandmother's car. I don't know what he did. He sold it or pawned it, whatever. So he ended up broke in the middle of the winter up there. And he was actually living on the streets for a while. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, God knows what would happen to him. And I could see, again, I was watching the the bank account trail and it went went cold. And so I knew he'd gone Mm -hmm. up to Central City, but I had no idea what had happened to him. And he was up there for almost a month before he finally decided to walk home. And it took him a couple of days to walk back down here. Yeah. He walked home and, uh, but the whole time I'm thinking, well, I bet somebody did him in for a gambling debt or, you know, whatever. He was living on the streets up there. I think it was February. And Oh my heavens. Yeah. Yeah. And up in the mountains. So I'm like, Jesus, it was the first time I ever saw where like, wow, gambling could actually kill somebody basically. 
And yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but he, it was a learned behavior from his teenage years, basically. And um, man, so. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's interesting about that too, is it all comes from somewhere. This is the world according to Coach Blue here. There's not a lot of research here, but what I've discovered in my own addictions and in the 20 years I've been doing this with people is that it all comes from these core issues. And these core issues, when we find the core issue that's driving this, the lie we bought into, all this kind of stuff, when we can identify what it is, I've kind of come up with a way by which we can we can kill it. And so instead of teaching people how not to use or how not to act on these these compulsions to to addiction, I I teach them how to eliminate them, coach. And and instead of like, again, placating to this, you know, one day at a time philosophy, it's like, what if we truly change your life? Which means you've got to do a ton of introspection here. So for me specifically, I'll tell you how this works. Like for me, coming from a very abusive home, very troubled childhood, you know, mother who was married at 14, had children. We were, she was a child having children, so to mm. speak. And just, you know, we're counting like seven marriages and divorces. You know, none of seven. us kids have the wow. same dad, all this stuff, brother, poverty, all this stuff. It created this core issue in me of neglect. Mm. When I discovered that my core issue was neglect, my thoughts on neglect, right, created the feelings that created the behaviors to start using. And then that took that just, you know, landslided in, into this, this addiction. But once I realized that, wait a minute, all this stuff in my life is because of this one feeling of neglect, this one core mm. issue. And once I realized, well, what do I want as it pertains to neglect? Do I, I, you know, I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want to be cared for. I want to be loved. What do I want for others in my life, right? My, my, my family, my wife, my children, I want them to never feel what I went through. So I'm going to give them attention. I'm going to give them the time. And what do I want right. for the stakeholders in my life? I want them to learn from this. But once I did that, I found out there was this action, right? This action step. I have to take an action, something that like movement, again, to kill this core issue. And it ended up me having to write my mother a letter saying, hey, what you did to us sucked. I get it. But like, you need to know what this has done. And when I gave that letter to say, I'm not, you're not neglecting me anymore. I'm showing you who I am. It did change the relationship with her, but it woke up the fact that I could crush that core issue. So this young man you're talking about back in that day, something else, he, he had a core issue that he brought on board and I'll bet you it was, it was neglect or abandonment or something to that nature and it created that. So once we start figuring out the core of this, coach, this stuff can be completely erased and replaced with something better. Most of us go into treatment or counseling or therapy hoping to feel better. I'm a therapist, and I think that's the dumbest thing ever. If you walk into my office and you hear me say to you, how does that make you feel? You need to get up and walk out because <laughs> feelings are kind of dumb. I'm sorry. Yeah. But I want to know, why are you thinking that? What made you think this situation to feel that way, to suppress it with that. So we go a lot deeper, but you're spot on. That stuff was created a long time ago and something that he won or experienced or could provide or give filled that void. And then that was the core issue seed. Right. Does that make sense? And I, I Absolutely. love working in this industry because it's not as hard as we think it is. It's just hard to change those behaviors. But if you want to change your world, you've got to change your thinking. Absolutely. Yep. That kid Mm -hmm. needed a serious rewiring there. That's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. But it is heartbreaking and gambling is one of those things too. And I, I had no idea that you guys were combating that kind of stuff. It, you know, here in Utah, yeah, gambling is very illegal. And so a blessing is that we don't have to deal with that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, we have a lot of closet drinkers and all this other, you know, pill users and stuff, 
but we don't have that kind of stuff. You don't walk into a grocery store and be presented the first thing with alcohol in, in our stores here. No. Um, and some people get upset with that, but I'm thinking in a world where you're trying to overcome addiction, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, and uh, right next door to our, our liquor stores are the pot dispensaries. So we got those yeah, every, every street corner around here. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and even that's been interesting, you know, being a, being in the field now for you know, over 20 years, helping people overcome addictions. When I first started hearing, you know, medical marijuana, I laughed. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing ever. But I understand the concepts of it now. I understand in harm reduction. I understand that it works for some if you're authentic and can be true to yourself and right. know why you're truly using it, right? Sure. But as you know, with addictive behavior, we it's always abuse that envelope a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, there are, I remember all sorts of college kids telling me how they had their medical card. You know, like, yeah. yeah, sure. You needed that, but you know, yeah, like glaucoma the, at 25 years old, huh? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but then of course, yeah. recreational, it's, it's all legal here. And, uh, and even when we had the pandemic, you know, they were shutting stores down and they had to, um, we, we had the, the really funny thing where this, the mayor of Denver, you know, quote was closing everything. And there was this mad rush on the liquor stores and the pot dispensaries, and after three yeah. hours, the mayor had to lift the prohibition, basically, because he realized, oh, my God, this is not going to fly around here. So um, they were, what, though, that's what's sad. Yeah. It's sad to hear that, because during the pandemic, we saw this unprecedented issue with people dying. I mean, when we when I first started noticing this in 2014, I was noticing that nationally we had this opiate epidemic and everything else. And we were losing 144 people a day. Okay, And that's that's from overdose deaths and, and yeah. opiates. Now in 2021, we just surpassed losing over 255 people every day. That's almost one every couple minutes. I mean, every few seconds, you know, every 25 seconds. I mean, yeah. that's like someone dying of an overdose. And the pandemic kicked those numbers up like like through the roof. More people die now every day. It's like it's like a 747 plane crashing every day. Yeah. And, and like losing 255 people. And yet we're not doing anything about it, coach. Now, if your plane crashes, the FAA, they come out, they, they pick up every piece of that plane and they reassemble it. They put this thing back together in the hangar right. and they find the exact bolt or the exact wire or whatever it is. And they're like, it was because the mechanic didn't tighten this bolt. That's what happened. We're not doing that in this world with addiction. We're losing this many people a day and we're all kind of scratching our heads like, well, what's going on? Well, what's going on? <laughs> well, <laughs> We're not helping the real issue here. We're not going to the target. We're trying to make people feel better, but we're not going to the core of stuff. So it's it's a sad thing. So you're right. During the pandemic, we lost a bunch of people. Yeah. No, it's gotten crazier. So actually, let's turn the page a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, here we are at the holidays, which obviously has always been uh, an issue for a lot of folks who are, you know, feeling down, you know, whatever issues they have yeah. going on. Um, but you add in the pandemic of the last two years and what, what have you seen in terms of the way people are acting differently uh, or what, what, you know, yeah. or how valuable addict athlete has been for your community? It's really coach. This is a, this is a really, that's a great question. And I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, we're still to a certain degree, we're still in it. Right. I mean, even though things are kind of coming out, the climate that we, that we've seen in the, in the country right now, it's, it's not good. Like I, you know, I see when we, 2020 was rough and you saw this and you know, where races were being canceled and things were putting on hold. And I started realizing that for, for me, I was like, this is, this is okay. I can handle this. Cause I'm you know, coach blue, believe it or not a little bit of an introvert. So I'm like, okay. But what I realized is that when they started talking about socially distancing, you know, and that kind of stuff, yeah. it translated into emotionally distancing too. And what I found was that people 
who who counted on relationships, being present, being you know in motion with others. That when when that was all canceled, what I started seeing a huge pull away. We went from from our addict athlete meetings holding people up to about forty to fifty people every every meeting we had. You know, to now that we've restarted over a year, we're still at maybe 10, 15. People have become wow. so complacent now that they're not reaching out anymore. And we've seen it on the team, like, like you know, especially the last couple of months before we started recording, I'd let you know that we've lost two of our very influential athletes um, to suicide this year. Wow. And these are two individuals that I would never have thought had happened. And, and the last one was so significant by nature because of the longevity he had on the team. Um, you know, ran, ran next to and with coach David Clark uh, on the squat peak 50 that he did out here with us, um, you know, that I'm thinking none of us are immune to what this is really causing. And what happened was it was a general kind of the decrease in, in emotional capacity. They stopped hanging out. They stopped investing. They stopped asking for help. Um, everyone kind of just assumed that everyone was going through it. So no one reached out and it oh, ended wow. up kind of in, in, you know, the, the situation of losing the whole battle, you know, taking the knee and man, I'll tell you, coach, it's been so rough because we've gotten out of sync. We've gotten out of that, the, the training we've gotten out of the relationship. And so when they started opening races back up, um, it was one of the most beautiful things because now people could actually start participating in life again. And I found it wasn't just for who comes in first. What it was, it was community. Was to see who else is on the bus? Right. Yeah. <laughs> who else is at the starting line? Yeah. And it was, and I've noticed that we, we, we were taking away from the, you know, the prize purses and all this kind of, no one cares because people are spending time on the course now running with each other, checking in on each other. Right. It's going to take a long time to rebound from this because we've lost a lot of the emotional consistency that, that we built up. And I think that's just in general anyway. So yeah, I've seen, I mean, hmm. zoom calls, all this kind of stuff, you know, you get it, you see yeah. it. nothing compares to that human interaction. And that's what really makes team addict to athlete thrive is, is the, the, the one-on-ones, the human relationship, the hugs and high fives. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And uh, I, I know when the races restarted, it felt like a huge celebration, just being out there with people. It just didn't matter how fast you were or, you know, who was winning. It was just, it was just a celebration of being out there, wasn't it? Well, it was. And you know what's interesting, too, is I read this years ago. I think it was in Run of World magazine or something, but talked about after national crisis, we have this increase in race registration and running shoe sales. Like if you look at the sales statistics after September 11th, you saw so many people start entering races and getting into the sport of running. And it was kind of interesting because they were like, well, why is this? Well, we're not running away from our problems. We're running to cope with them. And yeah. so it's kind of in this kind of like, like, I don't know, this inner thought, this, this, like this, like natural man kind of thing is like to, to move, to do something, to feel like we're doing something, you know? And I thought that's an interesting thing, but that's what I've seen after this pandemic too, is that, People need this as a healing mechanism, which again, taps back into that EMDR stuff. And so a lot of people though have felt have fallen so on a sink that they haven't picked up the running shoes again. They haven't done this because it feels like, you know, they're still a little nervous to get on that bus to go to the starting line, or they're worried about things. And I'm thinking, guys, we can't be afraid of life. We've got to continue to, to right. fight for this. And if you've been in addiction, you know how how scary life is in that world. And let's not practice those same principles sober by hiding from the world. So it's been, coach, it's been rough. It's been real hard on the team. Um, and we're doing our best to just provide opportunities. And we're increasing that way too. We're seeing now finally um, the, 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 you know, the, the things return to, I'm going to call it like the post-pandemic normal 
Um, but yeah, slowly, but surely that's, I guess like the tortoise in the hair, that's how you win this. People are coming back gradually, but they've been hurt. And I don't think that us males, us guys, we don't like talking about that. And so obviously we're the ones that hold it in most. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, I mean, first of all, you gave me a great idea to look into see how Nike stock has been doing here in the last couple of years. Seeing people it would be curious to see. I'll yeah. bet you it, it, after this, I'd love to let me know what you find. I'd love to know. Yeah, I'm going to look into Nike, New Balance, all that, see how they're doing. But uh, but no, the um, the resurgence in racing is interesting. Uh, even just, you know, I boy, I tell you, I'd be curious to see how, you know, I wonder, I, I mean, I know there was a shortage of home gym equipment sale, you know, you couldn't get that stuff because people were working out at home. So at least people were finding the outlet out there. But as we've been able to come out of our shell, so to speak, and hopefully we're not going back into it right now uh, with this Omicron stuff, um, hopefully uh, people are getting out there. I mean, I notice, you know, when I go to the gym, it seems, you know, pretty normal in terms of numbers out there and everything. But I wonder, is that just, okay, these are the people go to the gym, but what about the other 90% of people who work out, um, on their own or whatever. I mean, I, I coach a group on Thursday evenings, uh, Revolution Running here in Denver, and um, seems like we're getting pretty good numbers. A lot of people are coming out simply for the community. Um, I'm really interested how many people in that group actually have come from out of town, and they're just like, hey, I just want to meet other runners out here in Denver. So uh, I'm hoping all that is rebounding right now. But um, yeah, we, we've created an interesting dynamic. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm like you, is that, you know, when the pandemic hit, um, I also, I just sold my business at the time and it was traumatic. Oh, yeah. So I was just like, I was just feeling like, oh my God, I just need to just sit outside and, you know, lay out in the sunshine for a while, whatever. But then the pandemic, you couldn't go anywhere anyway. And I, no. I was actually okay. I mean, I was, I did landscaping. I did a great spring cleanup. I, um, you know, I, David always, you know, joke with me about, you know, I opened up my stamp collection, you know, good, good introverted <laughs> test there, but, um, yeah. but it seemed, I was okay with it, but obviously a lot of people, you know, are not okay with that. They don't like to be in their own skin. And, mm-hmm. and obviously these things get magnified when we come up to the holidays. Cause a lot of people feel, well, I can't, now I can't go travel and see my family, or maybe I don't want to. A lot of people I know have lost friends during the pandemic, and a lot of people have disappeared out of my life, basically, for whatever reason during this. So I would imagine, yeah. again, this uh, 2021 holiday season feels a little different to those people who maybe had some of those de- depressant-type uh, feelings anyway, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, that's kind of what, you know, I remember, you know, Coach Clark talking to me about, you know, when we first started our relationship and and when he found out about Team Medic Athlete, and I was able to meet him for the very first time out of the Badwater Ultra Marathon and stuff. And yeah. we kind of built this relationship and it, it started to flourish several years ago. But I remember listening to his last podcast here on, on the Hive with um, Dean Carnazes, and they were talking yep. about it. it was just as the pandemic started kicking in. And it was kind of an insane because what he taught me and what he's kind of emulating that podcast was it is our, it is our resistance to what is that causes our suffering. So we can resist all of this stuff. And I remember coach telling me this kind of stuff too. It's like, Blue, if you're fighting against this, then that's what's causing your problems. Why don't you just lean into it and learn something from it? And I'm like, yeah, coach, easier said than done until he showed me. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can, I can kind of absorb this and be okay and understand that all this is going to have suffering with it. Right. But how we choose to deal with it is kind of the key here. And, you know, I'll never forget when he when uh, when he was working with me up at the, the, the treatment program we were working at and he, he uh, broke his Achilles tendon. 
Yeah. And I'm like, man, he's training for this, this, you know, this MMA fight. He's so excited. And he's like, man, this, this, this is interesting. And I'm like, aren't, aren't you mad? And he's like, well, what? I don't know what this This could be good. Right. I'm like, how could this be good, David? You broke your Achilles tendon. He's like, I don't know. We'll see. But the crazy thing about that is, is this whole pandemic and what he taught on that podcast was just lean into it, right? Don't let it scare you. Take your precautions, but don't let it scare you and just see what it brings. And I think we forget that sometimes we get so typecast into our heads about how bad things are. We forget to see how good things are too. And I've learned that from him about seeing both sides of the coin and then picking the one that's going to you know, be best for you. And that's very rarely the negative side of this. So unfortunately, as horrible as the pandemic's been, it's also been really good too, because it showed us what our breaking point is. And if we can learn from this stuff and we can say that, hey, there can never be a next time like this. We have to approach things differently. I think we can learn immense lessons from this. I mean, don't you, don't you think, Coach? Yeah, you know, I've actually used the analogy or made the comment several times during this pandemic that it's too bad everybody isn't a marathon runner. Because exactly. marathon runners know that there's ebbs and flows, highs and lows, and sometimes things really suck. And you've got to just put your head down and keep going. You know, there's, there's no alternative but to find that finish line out there. Um, and of course, there's no real finish line in this case. But, you know, you just have to stick your head, get, just put your head down and just keep going. And it's a shame yeah. more people can't do that. I mean, yeah, all this stuff has sucked. I mean, it's been tough not being able to visit family and having to go out and, um, you know, wear masks or, you know, go get these vaccines you weren't planning on having to get, whatever mm-hmm. it is. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you do it and you just keep moving forward. And, yeah. you know, it, it would be one thing to just say, I'm going to sit inside and I'm going to mope and I'm going to, you know, just you know, get all pissed off about this. But the thing is, we've only been put on this earth for a certain amount of time. And, yeah. and you know what? You, you can't do anything about th- these years. These are still years of your life. And if you choose yep. to just sit on the sideline, well, you're, you're basically, those count anyway. It's not like, Absolutely. not like you've hit the pause button. It, it, you know, I get people sometimes, you know, talk to, they, they, people always ask me this question. You, you may have heard this. You're running an ultra marathon and people hear how long it takes and they go, do you sleep during that time? Yes. <laughs> and I say, well, I, I could, they're not going to stop the clock for me though, but you know, mm-hmm. sure. I, I, but you know, that's why I don't, it's the same thing, same analogy here. It's like, you know what? Your body clock is not stopping. You ha- you have these years, no matter what, some of them suck, you know, with the pandemic, whatever. So I'm going to make the best of this time. I'm going to find some new ways to, to deal with it. I mean, um, you know, very different situation, but you know, I don't know about you guys. We have no snow here. It's just absurd how we've had, I mean, the, the mountains here are finally getting some snow here, like the last couple of days, but I mean, Denver, we have not had any snow yet. And it's, you know, literally Scary. Christmas and, yeah. um, you know, officially we broke the streak by getting three tenths of an inch a few weeks ago. That's all we've had. So I went out and I bought Nordic skis. You know, it's like, okay, well, the downhill skiing is going to suck. But you know what? I'm going to deal with what the situation is. I bought some Nordic skis because all you need for those, and for those of you guys don't know, it's like the cross-country skiing. You need, what, an inch of snow? I mean, you don't need much. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go out and get a workout and, you know, I'll get outdoors anyway. But, you know, you, you, you deal with what you got. 
And, you no, know, absolutely. Yeah. You're spot on. And, and I love that analogy. What I do, there was this, there was this race we did, you know, we do every once in a while. It's called the Pony Express 50. It's a 50 mile ultra marathon, 50 and hundred yeah. out there on the, in the West desert of Utah on the Pony Express trail. And it is flat as a pancake, man. I'm telling you, like it's, it's the most boring run you've ever done, <laughs> but we're out there running. And there's this one part where I was running and this guy comes up, he's like, he's like how much further do you think? And I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, well, we've still got about 25 miles, you know, but, He's like, where's the end? And I'm like, at the horizon. And <laughs> right. like, so we start running towards the horizon. And guess what happens when you hit the horizon? You think you're done? Guess what happens? The horizon changes. Right, right. right? And it's like, wait a minute. I thought this was the horizon. No. So I'm like, guys, we're always running to the horizon. Um, and it changes each time we get there. And so we call that the theory of the gap. And although you may not see how far you have to go, because it really does change each time you reach that, that, that point of horizon, you can always turn back and see how far you've come. You can remember the times in life that were hard. You can remember the pinnacles and the landmarks. You're like, man, I remember that way back then. That sucked. You may not know where the horizon is going to end because it's not, but you can always turn around and see how far you've come. And so I tell my athletes that all the time. I'm like, look, right now we're just in the middle. And, and I say this, I said, if we're in the middle, guess what? Stories always start great. They have a hard part in the middle and they finish amazing. So if you're having a hard time right now, guess what? Your story's not over. You're in the middle. Right. Keep going. Keep moving forward and reach that next horizon. You'll get to that end of the race and you'll start another one. So I love that mindset, coach. I think if we looked at life that way, as Coach Clark taught us too, yeah, we'd have a lot more understanding of some of the suffering we have to experience. Yeah. And, you know, you go back to what you're talking about when he ruptured his Achilles and he said, I mean, it was just amazing to me. He, he said he just sat down on the mat and started laughing. He said people looked at yeah. him like he was crazy. And There's a photo of him doing that. I saw that's why I asked him, like, are you OK? Because you're yeah. you're OK. And he's like, I'm fine, man. I don't know what this is going to bring. Yeah. Oh, man. No, and it, it's helped me a lot. Um, just the fact that, um, you know, I've looked at, you know, the screwed up things that have happened to me and just say, well, yeah, that's that's life. You know, it just yeah. it all adds up to your body of experience and how you're able to um, keep improving yourself. And, you know, I heard, you know, Hillary Allen, you know, well-known ultra runner who was in a, a, one of these uh, mountain races in Norway and she had a catastrophic accident. I mean, nearly died and, you know, was, you know, totally trashed her body, had to get airlifted Mm. back by, I think she was sponsored by Solomon. They got a charter plane so they could bring her back from Norway to the United States to get treatment and everything. And her saying like, yeah, I'm glad this happened to me. You know, it's. Um, and you're like, really? Why, why, why wouldn't you just rather just finish the race? And, you know, you would have finished first, second, whatever. And, you know, you would have said, hey, that was a great race, gone home. Why would you instead say, oh, I'm so grateful I got almost killed, <laughs> you know? So, exactly. Yeah. And you realize yeah, that's but all. Again, it's all about perspective. You're right, right? It's yeah. all about perspective. Yeah. And, and all about what did you gain? You know, what did you learn through this? And uh, I never really realized it myself even that maybe I was employing that kind of mindset because – um, you know, I ruptured my Achilles. I've ruptured my quad tendon in my left knee twice, the one in my right knee once, um, all these surgeries. And I am the idiot who's in the gym three days later getting out. I mean, I'm yeah. still, you know, on the, on the painkillers or whatever. And I'm, I'm uh-huh. going at it. In fact, when David ruptured his Achilles, he, he and I had sort of a competition, if you would, even though, you know, my, mine had been ruptured a long time before, but he was always checking. It's like, well, where were you at three weeks? Where were you at five weeks? You know, he wanted to beat my quote record for, um, because yeah. I, you know, when I ruptured my Achilles, they said, you are out for nine to 12 months. And I'm like, oh God, no, there's, there's no, no, you, that, you can't that, do that, that to happen. me. No. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I started working at it and I was running again 11 weeks later. 
And in fact, when I went in to see the doc at 11 weeks and uh, he said, yeah, you're doing pretty good. And I said, you know, can I run? He goes, yeah, I know the way you are. Okay. And I said, well, could I ski? And he goes, well, and I go, well, it's in a boot anyway. And he goes, yeah, I guess you're right. Okay. So I said, okay, yeah, I guess I'll give you permission to ski. I said, well, good, because I did last week. And so, <laughs> yeah, ask for forgiveness, not for approval. I like it. Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. And I remember David did that same thing. I, I remember, like, you know, soon after his surgery, I see him like crutching his way through a turkey trot 5K. Yeah, I'm exactly. Like, right. What? And I'm like, you see, that's the thing is if we have the mindset uh, of that kind of approach to life, whether we have a pandemic or a relapse, whatever, it's like, no, just push through it. It's going to be okay. Find a way, think outside of the box to make it work for you. Don't let don't let society or or situational stuff tell you no. Yeah. Let it tell you, you know, how. And and he did it. And I remember thinking, and he's like, I came in dead last. And it was my favorite five K I've ever done. And I'm like, Dude, yeah, that is flipping rad. Like that is amazing. If so, if we could take that approach to recovery, to to life, to overcoming adversity, can you imagine what we could potentially become? I mean, right off the charts. Yeah, no, it, it is amazing. You're, you're totally right. And the fact that he loved that race. I mean, that's what's so cool about it. I mean. Yeah. Um, I mean, those of us who've been on crutches before, I mean, that doesn't feel good, you know, I mean, throw in whatever he was feeling as Achilles and then his armpits and, you know, rib cage, whatever. I mean, yeah, well, I'm sure that sucked. Everything. Yeah. I mean, and they weren't the, the great kind of nice ones. Those, those were the hospital standard issue ones that suck. Uh-huh. I know, right. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I used to at least borrow the nice ones, you know, but uh, the, the ambi legs, I think they call them, but no, he had the, the old bullshit ones. <laughs> oh yeah. He, he did. He had the ancient ones, the ones that they had to dust off in the closet. And that's, but that's it though, is he did it anyway. And the reason why you and I remember it is because we look at it through, through the lenses of like, holy, holy how do you do that? And he's like, he's thinking, well, why wouldn't I? That's the kind of approach I think we need to have through all of this stuff, whether it's overcoming addiction or situational issues, just like look at life instead of how, you know, I can't to how can I, you know, I call it moving from an, uh, a, an agent or from a victim to an agent. Don't be a victim to this kind of stuff. Stop blaming, you know, stop consuming, start producing, start taking accountability and be, man, be all that you can. It's, right. not, it's not as hard as you think. It's just that mind shift that you, that you need to take a, a lean into. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's why we get inspired by seeing people who accomplish things in wheelchairs or, you know, Paralympic athletes. I mean, yeah, I think maybe, I don't know if David was thinking along these lines, but I would think it's like, well, hey, this is just temporary anyway. Um, you know, I'm not going to be on crutches for forever. Um, so I, I think, you know, we can look at the situation we're in right now, you know. Um, COVID is not going to be forever. I mean, I don't know how long it's going to be. I bet it's going to be a while longer, but eventually it's going to fade out. So it's more like the common cold, but it's not forever. So, you know, we'll get through this. Yeah. So, so obviously in every day, carpe diem, right? Seize the day. And that's kind of what it is. Take advantage of it today. Because like you said, you can't bankroll time. It's ticking away whether we like it or not. So you might as well do something with it. That's going to make you a better tomorrow than set you back further. I'm, I'm with you, coach. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it, there were no races going on, but you know, I was very happy to get out on trails and kind of go back to, um, you know, the reasons why, why I run in the first place. You know, I've talked about yeah. that before. He's like, why do you do this? You know, maybe it's you like fresh air. Maybe you like the social aspect. Maybe you just like feeling fit or whatever it is. You know, you could yeah. go back to your roots, so to speak. Well, that's what we tried to do with the team. And that was kind of hard because everyone likes lining up for race day, especially on Team Athlete. They love the camaraderie. They love seeing their friends, their teammates. And so I found real early that I would see my athletes show up to races 
without putting in the training. And immediately I could tell when they said go and they would run and sprint and I'd catch them within the first hundred yards. I'm like, wait a minute, you're not training. Are you? Cause if I'm beating you, that tells me that you're not training. Right. And so I looked at that same lens. It's like, you want, we may not have all the lights and the glamor and the glory and the medals, but guys, this is perfect training and you've done harder things. You've been in lower places. So utilize this time as personal rejuvenation, you know, get out there and still train. So when these races do come back, you'll be at the top of your game and coach only a few of them did that. Only a few of them utilize that time mm. to really kind of magnify their, their inner strength. And, and that's sad because that shows yeah. me as a collective, we've got to start, we've got to start getting inside first. Like David told me, become one with yourself before any, anything with anyone else or anything else. And I thought that's not an easy thing to do as much as we think that we can do that. We are very social creatures. And so it's hard to do, but I love that principle. So only a handful, I would say, of my athletes really took advantage of that time where they could focus on themselves. And so, and I don't know if we're going to have that kind of experience again, hopefully not, but like you right. can look at it through the lens of having it be beautiful instead of something that was scary, man, there's nothing we can't accomplish. No, that's, uh, that is interesting. And I wonder what it's going to take to get people back in the fold, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna take a lot of courage, a lot of charisma, and a lot of like extroversion to get people back into where they were. I'm <laughs> right. with you on that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's let's pull this conversation back towards the holiday season here, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, you've you've seen some different things going on, and you know, just you know, recommendations you might have to people who are feeling it this time of year, and uh, obviously, uh, we'd like to propel people into 2022. Yeah, for sure. You know, everyone talks about, you know, the New Year's goals and stuff and stuff. And I'm, I'm a fan of them. A lot of people are like, oh, New Year's resolutions, you know, we hate them. I'm not. I like them. Yeah. And the thing is, I think we need to not shoot so high to the stars. <laughs> I think we need to start a little bit lower, do things that are that you know you can be accountable to. But I think New Year's resolutions are fantastic. And if it's anything, I would say whatever you've done this year, you know, try to at least double it this year. So let's say like your goal last year was to run a marathon, right? Well, now this year, let's do two. And, and, and kind of right. start leaning into it slowly, but I'm a big, I'm a big fan of movement. You've got to go, you've got to do things. And so a lot of times we talk ourselves out of it. I've had so many clients I've worked with that uh, get the gym membership and they just don't go. Right. I'm like, you've got to discipline yourself enough to go. And if that means getting a, getting a partner or somebody that's going to help keep you accountable, please do it. Um, and you don't have to go in there and crush it like, like, you know, like Arnold every day. You can go in and just <laughs> do like the movement, basic movement. We've got to get to the understanding that that movement equals equals success and healing. And so I would say that the second thing I want to say is relationships over rules. And what I mean by that is you may have these rules that you've created in your head about you know, the things you shouldn't, you couldn't, you won't do challenge those relationships with, with healthy people are where the keys are to success meaning reestablish. If you've got some, some friendships on the rocks, you know, if it's healthy for you, repair those. If you're, you know, if you're an ex- introvert, start extroverting yourself a little bit. Right. What I found is that we are not meant or designed to be alone. We have, we are social creatures and we have to do things. So it's time to pick up your shoes again. It's time to get those hobbies back together. It's time to start investing in you through other people and serving. I think serving on your inconvenience for 2022 is going to be a key to a lot of people's success. So whether that's volunteering at a race or, or at your community center, or even in your family system, doing something outside of yourself 
um, is going to really put things back into perspective. Team added to athlete, although we do a ton of like recreation stuff, the, the backbone of it all is service. We just wrapped up our 2021 project elf. It's a, it's a, the thing we, we leaned into where we help people who are struggling you know, provide Christmas, like a sub for Santa type experience. And nice. Each year it's gotten bigger. And this year we donated, you know, up to like 40 kids or something that we were able to provide Christmas oh, wow. for whose families struggled. And the team camaraderie of that. So you know, serving out of your inconvenience is, is key in, in this kind of stuff. And then I give people coach the champions challenge. And this is what I tell them. I learned this from coach Larry Gilwicks, who was an amazing mentor of mine. And the first thing he says is do it even if it's not your job. So in 2022, do it even if it's not your job. If you see something that's out of place, you do it. Don't wait for someone else. Grab a piece of garbage on the floor, pick it up. You know, something that needs to be yeah. set back up because the wind tipped it over, you pick it up. Treat people that you don't need with respect, number two. And I think that's a big one. Yeah. You think of how many people that we come in contact with that we don't think we need. So we don't pay them any mind, right? Mm. Whether that's your garbage man or maybe it's the clerk at the grocery store, whatever. Treat people that you don't need with, with the utmost respect and see what happens, right? Focus on the win for 2022. And that's what's important right now. David taught me this. Don't worry about what's happening down the road. Don't forget about what happened yesterday. What's important right now? The W-I-N. What's important now? Go for that, right? Yeah. And the last one, right, is, is focus on what team you're playing for. Pick which team you're playing for. You can't, you can't play for, for one team and then halfway through the season take your jersey off, put the jersey on of the opposing team because you think they're doing better. You've got to pick if you're on team addiction or if you're on team sober. And you got to play it to win it. And so those are the tips I give people in these kind of situations, coach, because I'm like, look, there's, it's not that hard, but it's like things that you do outside of yourself that will create the biggest results. Yeah. No, I love it. Those are some great points there. I love the way you just rattle those off your head. I didn't even see you looking at notes. <laughs> no, no, it kind of, kind of comes kind of yeah. from upstairs because it's just, it's just our way of being. It's just who we've become. So yeah. absolutely. Those are big parts of that. Like, you don't realize how influential you can be when, until you start seeing like like the the wake that you leave behind because you take upon yourselves that champions challenge. Yeah, no, I like that. I, I'm going to hit on two of those here. One of them is the mm-hmm. respect part there because uh, you know as I, a lot of people know, um, I, I will talk to just about anybody. It's just mm-hmm. it's not something I always did. You know, people may, may not believe it, but I was you know kind of even though I got involved in a lot of things in high school and such, I was you know kind of the uh, I, I wasn't that out going kind of guy necessarily. And I've worked, I used to work in places. In fact, I I used to work in a software company where um, I was a one man sales force and everybody else was like support people, programmers, very different personalities, you know? And uh, um, I used to basically have a persona being like Lucy uh, from peanuts, you know, the grumpy person. And I even had somebody come in my office one time and say, why are you so grumpy all the time in a friendly way? You know, but just why are you so grumpy all the time? Uh-huh. And my response was, well, that way they don't ask me to do things because, you know, I'm a sales guy. Time is money. Nobody asks yep. me to help them move their desk or whatever, you know? So I was just kind of like, you know, I, I was, you know, I was a dick, I guess. I don't know. 
Yeah, so, no, but there you go. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and certainly, um, you know, a, a good philosophy to have is, you know, don't be a dick. I mean, it's exactly no reason for it. But you know, I no. I know my mail carrier. Um, I I was just at the store earlier that the Safeway. I, I know a lot of the checkers there, and you know, one guy gives me crap. He goes, "Well, go Avalanche," and he knows I'm a Rangers fan already. You know, so yeah. we just have this fun going back and forth thing. But you know, people talk about, hey, you go out somewhere and people are. You know, especially with the short help at places these days, people are grumpy people, and you don't get good service where you go and everything. So it just, yeah. it's it amazing how much better service you get when you actually treat people with respect. I mean, yeah, in this case, mm-hmm. I've gotten to know some of these people here at the, the Safeway, but even the ones I don't know, you say, hey, you ready for Christmas? You know, you how you doing? You know, whatever it is. And it just changes everything. You get so much better response from people. And I'm not doing this because I want better service. It's just it happens that way. You know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it happens all the time. I think that treating people with respect that you don't think you need that goes, that that goes across political lines. That goes across, you know, personal standpoints about mass, anti-mass, who cares? It's like, guys, we're all in the same boat. So like, you you know, put all that stuff aside, treat them with respect and see what happens. Because what you'll find is that you can, can sleep better at night because you don't have all this pent up like anger and frustration over flipping nothing. right? Right. And that's, Kind of an interesting concept, but you're right. Treating people with respect that you don't think you need, you'll be amazed at what you can find. And when I first realized this, it was funny, Coach. I was working at this at this youth treatment center, and when I heard that principle, I'm like, I'm gonna, oh, I don't know what that means. It hit me that there was this lady who was, um, she was she was our our, our custodian. And every day I'd walk in and she'd be in the exact same place in the foyer of the place I worked at, and I'd walked past her a hundred times. And that uh, I walked in that day and I'm like, treat people you don't need with respect. And I stopped and I looked at her and I waited for her to finish because I wanted to thank her for what she did. And as she turns out the vacuum, I scared her. I stalled her, stalled her, I stalled her. And so I'm, I'm like, oh, sorry. I said, um, hey, I just wanted to thank you for the work that you do here. Like I come in and everything always looks so nice. And I've never taken, taken the time to, hmm. to thank you. I said, my name's Blue. And she's, she looked at me, coach, and she says, yeah, I know who you are. I clean, I clean your office. Wow. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And what I found out was that this was the third job she had, the last of three. And what she did is she she would go home after this job. She'd finish right at 730, go home, get her kids up to school. She'd rest and then she'd do these job one, job two, job three. Hmm. And that was her last thing. And I started, you know, she's a single mom raising two kids. And I'm like, I had no idea. Right. That's what it made me do, coach. It made me make sure that my garbage was where it was. There were times when I had big things I took out myself. There were things that I wanted to do now to make her job easier because I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. This just magically gets cleaned every night. And so I started realizing that, look, you know what? Maybe I can be more aware of what I can do to make her job a little bit easier. So that's, that's kind cool. of the premise behind right. that, don't you think? Absolutely. No, and it's not like you're doing the job for her, but you are like, say, okay, you're not just like strewing crap on the ground and making her pick it up like she's, you know, some sort of slave of yours, you know? So, absolutely yeah. taking advantage of the situation. And that's the do it even if it's not your job mentality. It's like right. so many times when we fail to react, we fail to do things because we're like, well, someone else will take care of that. You know, like I've yep. been in other countries and I've noticed that people will just willy nilly throw their stuff on the ground. And the, the premise is because they have people that are hired by the government to pick that stuff up. So why would they put it in the receptacle? It's like, guys, huh. that's not the point, right? right. It's kind of like, eh, come on. So those kind of premises for your 2022, if you start taking a little bit more mindful, I'm going to be a more mindful approach on what you're doing. You're going to make things so much better for you because then people will see it and they'll emulate it 
from what you're doing. Absolutely. Makes, makes the world a nicer place, right? It does. Yeah. Man. It makes it so much better. You don't have to have this chip on your shoulder and be pissed off all the time. Like you can just do your thing and make it a little bit better than you found it the day before. Yeah. And the other thing is you don't know if that person, you know, say I'll go back to the supermarket checker analogy. That mm-hmm. person may be having a really crappy day. I mean, you know, these people are having, you know, nonstop flow of people coming through their lane here with Christmas. Um, their, their day may be pretty rough. You know what? You, you treat them nicely, a little respect. And all of a sudden they're like, Okay, you picked up their day a little bit. You know, I mean, yeah. whatever little bit, it helps. Yeah. Um, I'm going to touch on, that, the, yeah, the, what's deal. that? Yeah. That's the, a big deal. Yeah. The, the third item you mentioned too um, kind of reminded me of, I, I've developed a philosophy. I heard somewhere else, of course, you know, we, we don't come up with anything originally, but no. <laughs> basically uh-uh. I never turned down an opportunity to meet somebody. So, yeah. you know, people say, hey, come on out. And um, there was a time I may have said, well, you know, I don't know, I don't feel like doing it or I, I could do this. I never turned down a chance to meet somebody because you never know what kind of connections it makes. And invariably right. you meet somebody who either is valuable to your life or you can have them help somebody else in your life or it leads to somebody else who, you know, has, has an influence on your life. So it is amazing what doors you can open by just saying yes to invitations. And you like to say, you just yeah. never know where it leads. If nothing yeah, else, you know what? You're right. yeah. You're spot on. I met you for the first time in, in person at David's wake when we were there to kind of celebrate his life. Oh, right. And it was kind of an interesting, and it was, coach, it was, you were so busy that it was just like, oh, hey, Bill, I'm blue. And then, okay. And then we moved on because there was so much going on. But, but from that, um, you know, I was able to help with, with, uh, with the warrior group and be uh-huh. a party with some of those kind of things. And, and you're right. And, and some of your athletes have reached out to me to say, hey, I need a little counseling and stuff. And I love that because you're, you're right. You don't know where these relationships are going to lead. Never miss that opportunity. You've seen this on your podcast. You probably you know, had people on your podcast that you, you, you heard of. But then once you start talking to me, you're like, holy cow, this person, I'm glad that I had this time with this individual because then you start seeing the human side of them. And you're like, whoa, yeah. this is cool. And they turn into relationships. I think that this is why social media is kind of funny, coach. I, I heard this, that the human being ourselves, we only have the capacity inside ourselves to cultivate up to 10 relationships. I'm talking like personal relationship with people. We only have the capacity to do 10. Yet how many relationships do we have on Facebook and all these social medias, right? We have hundreds or thousands and stuff like that. Those aren't real relationships. But what I've noticed is that they can be if you apply that human touch to it. And so it's kind of funny that uh, although we may only have the capacity to nurture uh, up to 10, you're pushing it with 10, you know, more normal, it's like seven. But if but if you invest yourself, you're like right now, like we're together, we're talking, nothing else matters right now. But once we're done, it's like, we're, we're both, we're both doing our own thing again. Yeah. So it's like that when what's important now, this is this relationship, this conversation, when you're with someone, talk with them, don't try to rush it. Don't try to speed through it. It doesn't matter what's coming. You know, I know I need to go shopping here in a little bit. I don't care about that. Right. What I care about is being able to connect with you because we're, we're spending time. That's a big part with people. Don't rush Absolutely. through things that are important. Go for what's important now. That's the win, right? Yep. I love it. And, you know, it's such a perfect message during the holidays, too, is focus on the family you're getting together with and maybe you haven't seen in months. And, um, you know, listen to them. Focus, you know, making that connection and, um, you know, get deep with it if, if you can. And yeah. you'll be just so much more rewarded for it. And, you know, yeah, you, you have to go back to work, back to school later on, everything, you know, put that aside, you know, it's, 
It's like I tell kids um, when you come to cross country practice, you can't do anything about your homework being late, the exam you have to study for, the argument you had with your mom before you left for school, the a conflict you had with your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, you know, just put it aside, focus on cross country right now, do the best you can, because there's nothing you can do about all that other stuff during the two hours you're here. And then when you go back home, forget about cross country. You know, it's like, you can't worry yeah. about like, okay, that race didn't go well, whatever it's done. Focus on saying you're sorry to your mom and you know, whatever else you got to do. Yeah. Oh man, can you imagine if we do more of that, what we could really accomplish just because our mind would be present. It wouldn't be stuck behind or, or, or something that hasn't happened yet. It'd get rid of all anxiety and it would get rid of all depression because depression I found is stuff that we worry about from the past. Anxiety is everything that we haven't discovered in the future. So it's like, if mm. we could be in the now, we could eliminate those things. Right. Man, oh man, you just, you just distilled it down very, very compactly, yeah. but you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. So you got those kids in there right now. It's like nothing else matters right now. So the depression of what you forgot yesterday is gone and whatever happens tomorrow is not here yet. So we're here is one of the neatest things. And when you start putting in your mind into that kind of exercise and you get fluent with it, man, I'm telling you, you can take so many more punches and you can, you can, you know, recover from the, from the blind side hits and all that kind of stuff. And it's, you're, you're always prepared. So yeah, coach, you you got you you got your mind right, and I'm, I love I love talking like this specifically because people, this is real stuff. Listeners, I hope that you're you're catching this. this. Isn't just a conversation between me and coach here. This is really stuff that you can use to to better your your life, to have better experiences, and to not worry about about so much the things that are out of your control. I remember David said that to me too. He was like, Blue, you're not the god of of, of pain and chaos. He's like, you got to just let it happen, man. And I'm like, yeah, Dave, you're right, man. Like. Here I'm trying to take so much responsibility for all these people, their pain, their their everything. He's like, no man, you you don't have that that niche. You you that's not you. That's the guy upstairs. How about you do what you can and leave the rest to him? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Yeah. yeah. No, it was brilliant. And yeah, he, he talked a lot about feeling the pain yourself. And most of mm-hmm. us, of course, try to avoid that for whatever cost. And that's what led him to the bottle. You know, was trying to avoid yep. the pain instead. Feel the pain and absorb it, process it. It. it, it you know, admit it into your life. If, if you would, like it's along for the ride. Um, yeah. you hear that analogy in races, that pain is just, Hey, it's along for the ride. I, you know, come on, let, let's go. I'm going to ha- carry you to the finish line and, um, and, and you know, bring it along and uh, feel it and be able to really learn how to cope with it. Yeah. You know, and only bring on what you can handle. I mean, I have an interesting job being a therapist and working with the people that I do. I hear so many heavy stories and so much emotional turmoil and things that just like, you know, it hurts. There's times when I come home and I'm just like, I have a hard time believing that humanity can treat itself this way. Um, but I've got to leave it there. I can't, I can't take it with me because there's so much that happens to the human experience that if I try and, and take on board all of their pain and try to lighten it by, by, you know, taking their load, right. Mine becomes unmanageable. And then I start to self-medicate, right. And I, there's no way I can do that. So the goal here isn't to take away from their suffering is to be a listening ear to help coach them on how to help them unpack it, which is the ultimate goal. It's like, I could fix this for you, but then what will you learn? How right. about if I call the place from the, from the sideline and we'll see what works and what doesn't, but you do the heavy work and then you'll feel so much better afterwards because you did it. Not me. People come to me all the time. They're like, Hey, Thanks, coach, so much. You know, I, I, I practiced what you said and it worked. I'm like, that wasn't me, dude. That was you 100% of course, because right. you took 
the lesson, applied it, and had a success. So I'm not going to take responsibility for your failures. I'm not going to take responsibility for your successes. Right. No, and I think of an uh, analogy of being even a little bit more on the front line where I, I spent 22 years as a rape crisis counselor. And yeah. I was the only male in the rape crisis center for a lot of those wow. years. And I would take phone shifts overnight, basically. You know, it worked out better than my schedule. So I might get a call at two in the morning and somebody's going through a crisis or it could be even somebody dealing with something from 20 years before. But yeah. I would listen to these stories and then I would provide resources for these people. I mean, I talked to them and, you know, help them, you know, begin the processing in a lot of cases. And a lot of people hadn't even begun processing things sometimes even from 20 years prior. It was, it was pretty heavy stuff all the time, as you can imagine. I sure. get calls, you know, mm-hmm. people, maybe something had happened to them that night. And um, I would write up my report after the call and go back to sleep. And some, some, yeah. some of the other counselors would say to me, how in the hell do you do that? I said, if I heard a story yeah. like you just told me about this, you know, um, you know, I, w- I would be awake all night. And it's like, yeah, but it's not my job to sit here and like, you know, cogitate the whole night about, oh, what is this person doing? Or, what are they going to do after this? It's like, I can't do anything for them. I mean, I gave them the best I possibly could in the way of tools and, mm-hmm. you know, what they need to do. But they've got to yeah. take it from there. And, you know, maybe it's simply, I, you know, I gave them resources to go find a counselor and they can, you know, continue with the process. But, yeah, I can't absorb that myself. I mean, yeah, you know, I'd be up all night myself and I'd, I'd be a terrible, uh, well, I'd be terrible at work the next day, but I'd also be a terrible counselor. But, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I could kind of separate that. And I guess that's a unique talent that those of us in this world have to have. Yeah, it's not easy to do either because it goes against that that human nature of wanting to provide comfort. Right. Um, but that's not our job. And it's hard because, you know, there there are times when you hear stories that stick with you a little longer. But if if we if we take them on board, we're gonna be no good to the person that calls next. Does that make sense? Right. So you're spot Absolutely. on, yeah. love. That's a hard thing to be a part of, man. I know, and I've heard the stories, I know what that's like, but to be able to be able to, you know, leave it there and say, All right that person's going to be okay. It's up to them. It's a beautiful thing because again, it sounds to someone who's a codependent, that sounds horrible. Like, why wouldn't you go a little further? Because I don't have the capacity to do that. Right. I, I, they got my skill set. Now it's up to them. It's the same thing with coaching. You can't run the race for one of your athletes. They have to do it themselves. It's the same concept. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You can't go out there and hold their hand and run the race alongside them. <laughs> no, no. You can't take their bib number off and finish the race for them. And that's, I, I tell my athletes all the time, I'm like, you have to do this yourself. This Wait, isn't, isn't that what Rosie Ruiz did or no? <laughs> I don't know. It's probably yeah, been you know, done. Yeah. People that do that. They don't, they don't know what splits are and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 They, they, oh, it's not a relay. What? <laughs> See, you can tell the posers real quick. I know that for sure. Yeah. It's awesome. So cool. Yeah. yeah I remember uh, Johnny Carson did a routine with about Rosie Ruiz and uh, he, he was interviewing Ed McMahon was dressed as Rosie Ruiz. And, you know, he's interviewing her. She's just finished the Boston Marathon. For those of you who don't know, she uh, finished, I think it was the 1980 Boston Marathon, cheated. She, you know, yeah. she basically jumped on the course late, late. And she was awarded the uh, first place uh, until a couple of days later when they figured her out. And, oh, wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in the Johnny Carson skit, he says to uh, Ed McMahon, it's like, it's funny. Like, you just ran a whole marathon. You don't have any salt on you or anything. And, and Ed McMahon says, hey. <laughs> like you want to interview me or you want to eat me? 
Yeah, I did see. I, I, that, I hope that's got to be on the internet somewhere. I got to find that. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was that's pretty. So yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> you can tell the posers real quick, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. I dig it. That's well, Coach Blue, uh, if people want to get involved with Addict to Athlete, what should they be doing? Oh man, check out our website. It's addicttoathlete.org. Um, and the great thing about this is that our, our webpage has all of our podcasts on there. We all of our social media links. You can Google coach blue. You'll find all of addict to athlete stuff, but our website addict to athlete.org is where you'll find pretty much everything we do from our certified sober coach training. If you want to start your own program and become a certified coach for the team to open your own chapter, we actually have one in Colorado and tell your ride down there in God's country. Nice. Um, so yeah, we have one chapter there, but we, we do, we have a 40 hour, very intense training training on how to do this so that you can help your community. I mean, we're a nonprofit program and, and we're expanding. We've got programs all over the country now and we're getting some outside of the country. So we're growing, but really that's where to find us. You can email me at blue, B-L-U at addicttoathlete.org if you have any questions. And, and we do, if, if, if there's anything we can do to help um, erase addiction, to replace it with things of greater value and turn that mess into a message, that's where you'll find it. So addicttoathlete.org. Yeah, no, and I would highly recommend to anybody who's listening that if you're struggling, uh, definitely look up Blue, look up Addict to Athlete. You guys are an amazing organization. Um, I also highly recommend the podcast. You guys do some great things. I, uh, Marissa and you do. Marissa, your yeah. wife, do a fantastic yeah, job Marissa's on the wife. She's a she's a rec therapist, so she has, she's a therapist through recreation, and and uh, she's kind of the brains of all this kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, she, she, her and I, it's, it's great, Bill. We get to work together so closely. It's, it's funny because I, I talked to some people it's like, oh man, I'm so glad I have a job to be away from my spouse. And so I'm like, <laughs> man, I love working with mine. Right. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. We do. She's a great person, uh, to, to, to help too. And if you need any help with like treatment or anything, she's a good resource. And, and her is Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-S-A at addict2athlete.org. She'll help you get in line with anything you need. Yeah. And I agree. She's definitely the brains behind the operation there. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Totally. No, yeah, she's wonderful. So, uh, yeah, some really good Thank resources. You. I know you've got a lot more on your website that people can reference. If you know somebody else in addiction, uh, um, definitely you can look those resources up, help whatever, you know, spouse, friend, relative, what, whatever you have who is in addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can help them out through a lot of the resources on that addicttoathlete.org website. So. Um, yeah, absolutely. And our podcast is going strong. We got, we got one with coach Bill on there last year, so you can check out his podcast. So it comes out two times a week. We do a one-on-one with coach blue, which is our live call-in show on social media. And then the addict athlete podcast. And recently I started another one. We have three, we call it the agents of recovery. And it's a podcast with myself, uh, NFL football player, Max Hall, who was a BYU Brigham Young University football player who got drafted to the Arizona Cardinals and struggled with his own addictions and, and overcoming adversity. He'd be a great one for your podcast coach, get in touch with him. And then Brock Bevel, who was an undercover officer who uh, once busted people for substance use and then became an addict himself after having an accident. So we, all three wow. of us do an agents of recovery podcast, which is beautiful. And, uh, I'll tell you the, the the cop and the and the football player they're better therapists than me so I'm, I get I get tons of stuff from them so you can check that out too as agents of recovery. All right, well I'll tell you what the show notes are going to have all this. It's going to be probably the longest stack of show notes references ah, that I've ever had, you. but you know it, it's all worthwhile. Good references, uh, good uh, places for everybody to find resources that they need for sure. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely. 
Well, athletes, I hope you enjoyed that. That was a great experience to be able to be on uh, the, the We Are Superman podcast with Coach Bill. Man, it, it just resonates what uh, Coach Clark started. And we are so lucky to have... Um, to have Coach Clark's you know, podcast still among us. I think that when you go back and you listen to the words of wisdom that he he promoted and the, the impact that he made on Team Addict to Athlete and now it being carried on by Coach Bill, I mean, there's it, it's proof that once the machine's up and running, um, there is no stopping it. A change uh, can, it, it can produce growth and so on and so forth. So thank you so much, Coach Bill. Um, and the We Are Superman podcast for hosting me. Go check them out. They're on all major platforms, everybody. And um, it's a good, it's a good tool. And if you want, um, if you want some real sports content, some deep, gritty, kind of like you know, on the trail content, that's the podcast for you. But I want to thank all of you for listening. I want to thank Radio Ronan for all that you do for Team Addict to Athlete. And until next week, athletes, go turn that mess into a message. <laughs>